Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The Telegraph. The Telegraph. Podcasts. A conditional easing of lockdown. So from Monday, we will allow up to six people to meet outside, provided those from different households continue strictly to observe social distancing rules. The test and trace system launches, some say too early, others too late. Normally accused of delaying these things and bringing them in too slowly. And should deaths be counted per capita? This is coronavirus, the latest from The Telegraph. I'm Theodora Leloudis. Groups of up to six people in England will be allowed to meet outside from Monday. In the latest easing of the lockdown, Boris Johnson confirmed groups can soon meet in outdoor spaces, including private gardens, as long as they stay two metres apart. It came as the UK confirmed another 377 deaths with the virus in all settings. Speaking at the daily press conference, the Prime Minister said people should avoid mixing with too many households in quick succession and those shielding should continue to do so. And he stressed all easing of the measures was conditional. I have to warn you, uh, in all frankness, as we go forwards, that there will be further local outbreaks. So we will monitor what is going on very carefully. We will put on the brakes as required. And where necessary, we will reimpose measures. And I think it's very important to be clear about that up front. The government will monitor the R-value, the rate of infection, to make sure it stays below one. The chief scientific advisor today confirmed it currently sits between 0.7 and 0.9 in different parts of the country. Scotland's First Minister Nicola Sturgeon also announced two households could meet in groups of up to eight from Friday whilst maintaining social distancing. And while Boris Johnson might have hoped that attention at the UK government's daily press conference would have fallen on the easing of lockdown measures, The Telegraph's political editor Gordon Rayner says it fell largely on something else. Day seven of the Dominic Cummings saga and still Boris Johnson was being bombarded with questions today at the Daily Downing Street press conference, even on a day when he made a major announcement uh, about releasing of lockdown measures, which mean that families and friends can finally be reunited after months apart. The Dominic Cummings saga has abated to a certain extent, despite Durham Police's statement that he might have broken lockdown rules, which has prompted calls from Labour and other opposition parties for him to be sacked. 
The government's coronavirus test and trace programme launched on Thursday amid reports of crashes and suggestions it might not be fully ready. It means anyone who's come into close contact with someone who's tested positive will be contacted by the NHS and asked to self-isolate for two weeks. But some NHS workers reported problems logging into the scheme's computer system on the morning it launched. And while Chris Hopson, chief executive of NHS Providers, which represents trusts in England, was among those to criticise the government for not having put the system System in place earlier. Others said it had been rushed forward to meet the government's set deadline of June the 1st. And when Health Secretary Matt Hancock was asked by Kay Burley from Sky News if he'd brought in the test and trace system too soon, he struggled to keep a straight face. It's priceless, Kay. I'm normally accused of delaying these things and bringing them in too slowly. Uh, we, we, it's, I, 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 I committed to getting the system in, in mid-May. It yeah, was, you did. You no, 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 no. You talked that, about you the app in mid-May. No, no, okay. okay. You, you talked about the app, in, you talked about the app in mid-May, didn't you, um, <laughs> Health Secretary? And we've still not got that app. That app is the NHS smartphone app that uses Bluetooth to monitor if people have come into contact with someone confirmed to have the virus and tells them to self-isolate. Today, MPs said they were told it wouldn't be fully operational until the end of June. Labour's Ben Bradshaw and Lib Dem Daisy Cooper both tweeted the news following a call with the executive chair of NHS Test and Trace. Both the app and the human contact tracing scheme obviously rely on compliance from the public. For them to work, people need to follow self-isolation guidelines and to tell tracers whom you've come into contact with if you do test positive. But earlier I spoke to Laura Kersley, a partner in the employment law team at Nelson Solicitors, and she told me employers in particular were concerned the system was open to abuse. You know, particularly when it comes to the stage of it's on an app and people are getting notifications on their phone that they're required to self-isolate. Um, you know, how does somebody prove that that screen grab of a notification you know what actually came to their phone in the first place if employees are you know would like to use this as a kind of mechanism to get extra time off and I think it's going to be very difficult for employers to investigate or prove otherwise that you know the the evidence whether the evidence is genuine or not I think that also brings up the fact that someone could ask, say, a friend to um, say that they've come into contact with them so that they are then forced to self-isolate and they do have even the legitimate message that says um, that they must self-isolate. Oh, yeah, yeah, I think that's quite right. I mean, at this stage at the moment where somebody's going to ring you up and say, you know, who have you been in contact with? Um, I mean, there's no requirement to prove any of that, is there? So, I mean, I guess the only thing I would say is that, you know, if you're only entitled to statutory sick pay and that's you know, around the £90 a week mark. Um, for, for many people, that is less than, than their usual earning. So that might not be very attractive to them. Um, and, it, it, you know, it's not the equivalent pay rates that people are seeing, you know, for the furlough scheme or anything like that. As more US states emerge from the coronavirus lockdown, the country's marked the sombre milestone of 100,000 deaths. It means the United States has the highest death toll in the world, as well as the highest number of COVID-19 cases. But per capita, the US has seen the ninth highest number of deaths, with around 30 fatalities per 100,000 people. For context, when you're counting per capita, Britain's death toll comes third, with around 56 deaths per 100,000 people, eight of the worst hit countries per capita 
capita are in Europe. International comparisons are, as we've said many times on this podcast, difficult. But a listener called Beatrice emailed to ask why deaths aren't necessarily presented per capita in official tolls. She noted that this might make comparisons between countries easier. Beatrice, I put your question to Nick Stripe. He's head of health analysis at the Office for National Statistics. There's kind of two issues there. The first is all around how easy is it even just to compare numbers, let alone rates between countries. Now, that is not easy. And you can only really do international comparisons some period of time after the time period you're actually interested in. And that's because of the different ways and the different delays for the way that data is collected. So the gold standard for data is to take death registrations data from all countries. But whereas here in the UK, we're quite quick at processing our death registrations data, other countries aren't. So uh, some of the data we're seeing from other countries is a few weeks or even months delayed, might not even be available yet, might be coming from different systems like tax records. So we don't have comparable data to compare to begin with. So that's the first issue. The second issue is once you have got comparable data to compare, if you just compare based on a per capita basis, we call those crude death rates. Now, a crude death rate takes no account whatsoever of how populations differ. So comparisons using those crude rates can be misleading because those populations will have different distributions of key things. And the key one really is age. So some countries will have many more older people, for example, in Italy. Our country, for example, has quite a number of people in their 50s and 60s and now going into their 70s. That's the baby boom after the Second World War. So countries have very different population structures in terms of age. And now, of course, your age is a key determinant of disease and your likelihood of having certain diseases or illnesses and critically your likelihood of dying. So the important thing is when you're comparing across space, so different countries, different populations, or indeed across time, is to use a standard way of doing it. And that is using something called a standard population. So what we do, and we're already producing these rates here in the UK, is that we standardise the deaths that we see and those death rates to a standard population. And then as long as every other country standardises their rates, then we can compare death rates across time and space. When Boris Johnson ordered cafes, bars, restaurants and pubs to shut on March the 20th, it dawned on many of us quite how comprehensive the UK lockdown was going to be. Over two months later, the Prime Minister's provided fresh hope for those waiting for them to dust off their barrels and open their doors. Boris Johnson's told MPs he hopes the two-metre coronavirus social distancing rule could soon be reduced to enable parts of the hospitality industry to reopen sooner than July. It is very difficult to bring forward hospitality um, measures in a uh, in a way that is um, socially uh, also social distancing um, but I'm much more optimistic about that than I was uh, and I think that uh, we may be able to do things uh, faster than I uh, I previously thought while takeaway service may have provided a stopgap for many of Britain's restaurants, the country's 47,000 pubs have largely been shut. It seems there's nothing quite like perching on a bar stool and Sunday roasts on the table. And when they do reopen, they might not look entirely how you remember. The Telegraph's Tom M. Morrissey-Swan's been looking into the future of socially distant drinking. This week, I managed to get a freshly poured pint of draft beer for the first time in two months, and it felt like a welcome sign of life slowly returning to normal. Many others have clearly done the same, with pubs across the country reopening, though only for takeaways. 
pubs can't allow customers inside until the 4th of July at the earliest. The main issue is social distancing. This could be two metres, or it might be reduced to one, as the government is currently considering. Jonathan Neem, the CEO of the Chef and Neem Brewery, told me this is a critical dynamic in the successful re-emergence of pubs. Essentially, far more customers would be allowed in. There will likely be screens at the bar, though bar service could even be fully off-limits. Screens may also separate tables, which could be limited to household members. Matt Hancock has said beer gardens could be safer than indoors, meaning pubs with gardens are potentially a better place to reopen. Perhaps the most comprehensive reopening plans, however, come from Weatherspoons, whose pubs are generally large enough to withstand a form of social distancing. Hand sanitizer will be placed throughout the building, menus will be disposable, signs and floor markings will remind people of safe distancing, and customers may be encouraged to order via apps. Staff and PPE could well become the norm for some time. For many, these changes will be a price worth paying for a pint. But what remains to be seen is how strictly pub goers will stick to the rules. Grabbing a saucepan and a wooden spoon and scrambling to your front door has become a Thursday evening ritual. But the founder of the Clap for Carers initiative hopes this week's will be the final applause. Anne-Marie Plass says the 10th week of clapping would be a good time for the ritual to end so that it maintains the positive impact it's had. She's hoping that we'll fill the streets to celebrate those working on the medical front line annually instead. This is Coronavirus, the latest from The Telegraph. I'm Theodora Leloudis and I'll be back on Friday evening for your final update of the week. Before I go, I want to tell you about another Telegraph podcast I think you'll enjoy. It's called Planet Normal and the first episode launched today. I think it's fair to say the media can sometimes feel like a bit of a bubble, but Telegraph columnists Alison Pearson and Liam Halligan are ready to burst it. Each week they'll be discussing the big issues of the last seven days in a podcast that speaks your language. This week they weigh in on the reopening opening schools debate with former Home Secretary Alan Johnson and the pair disagree on the actions of Dominic Cummings. Search Planet Normal on your podcast app or you'll find the link in the show notes to this episode. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Summer's just around the corner, so give your body the care it deserves with Osea's best selling Andaria Algae Body Oil. Created by infusing Andaria seaweed in barrels of botanical oils, it leaves skin silky soft and glowing. Plus, it's clinically proven to improve elasticity and deeply moisturize without feeling greasy. It's safe, clean, vegan skincare. Get 10% off your first order at oseamalibu.com with code GLOW, plus free shipping on orders over $60.